our ministry is Happy as a Larkley. If you'd like a card telling about our family, we have those cards available there. But it's good to be here. Thanks, Pastor, for the opportunity. I am not a gifted song leader, but I certainly have a heart and passion for singing to the Lord. So let's stand this morning and sing number 200. Grace greater than all our sin. Grace 173, hymn 173. There is power in the blood. We'll sing the first, third, and fourth, hymn 173. 
second i was getting into it i'm glad jesus washes my sins away let's sing number 161 standing on the promises let's sing all of them all five i feel like singing standing on the promises of christ my king through eternal ages let his praises ring glory in the highest i will shout
singing this morning. Song leading is my least favorite thing to do in church, but God gave me some grace this morning to sing. You guys made me, made me feel like a good song leader, like I could do it all the time or something. You're just like echoing. It could be the sound of the building, but thank the Lord for that. Singing to the Lord. Uh, we get to come to the time of the service so we can worship the Lord through giving. God clearly makes it clear in his word that it's more blessed to give than to receive. This morning we can do that. Um, so uh, I'm going to ask my son, if he can just ask a blessing on the, just stand right there, ask a blessing on the offering. Go ahead. Dear Jesus, I pray that this church will grow in your word and thank you that it's nourishing and blessing. And thank you that my sister and this church, it's a feeling of grace and more lasting future. Amen. Amen. Maybe seated. sweetheart that's my 12 year old daughter there and thank the lord for that well we're my family is going to sing a few songs not me but my family we're not professional singers we just want to sing to the lord and uh my son just picked up the guitar two and a half weeks ago so he's going to be playing some of the chords there and uh so my wife will take over and i'm glad so i can sit down all right <laughs>
Jesus, lay down his sweet head. The stars in the sky look down where he laid. The little Lord Jesus, asleep on the hay. The cattle are make the baby wakes. But little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. I love the Lord Jesus, look down from the sky. And stay by my cradle till morning is nigh. Shall come to thee, O 
Israel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. that beautiful song at this time the kids can be dismissed uh miss jamie i believe is taking the kids today so if you're kid kid at heart follow that lady right there and the rest of us can open our bibles to psalms 71 let me turn my microphone on here all right kids i think there's a program going on and that I don't what's the age limit up to five or six okay all right my sounds like hey I heard my dad speak before can I get out of here <laughs> there's as we've been traveling around there's times a certain sermons I've preached that my daughter's like dad if you ever get sick don't worry because I can cover for you I can get up there and say it if you need me to <laughs> oh wow uh, Psalm 71. It is good to be here, and as I said earlier, I um, love to fill in and uh, try to be a blessing when I can at different places. I pastored there in Arizona for 16 years, started a couple churches while I was there. Um, one's going really well, and uh, one is barely hanging on, but you know, that's how it goes in life sometimes. And uh, thank the Lord for that. Um, but I have a burden I want to share this morning you know the bottom line is the older you get and I'm not super old I guess I'm like at the midway point is 40 midway now or is is 50 the new midway I, I don't know 50 is the new midway yeah let's do 50 because that means I'm 100 that's a lot better than 80 because you get that so uh, uh, and God's been good to my family and I uh, we uh, pastored one community for 16 years, and then while I was there, I started another church as I was pastoring the church. And uh, we got involved in some real estate, and thank the Lord for that, and some other uh, different businesses we had. But we're allowed, at this point, the reason we can serve the way we do is uh, we have some passive income. We thank the Lord for that. But God has been really good. And, you know, when I stepped down from pastoring, um, there's a lot of work behind the scenes. It's not just getting up Sundays you know, and yelling at everybody, <laughs> and, and uh, there's a lot of work that takes place behind the scene. There's a lot of pressures you carry, a lot of burdens you carry for people, um, and just a, a lot of behind the scenes pressures there, and I started when I was 23 years old, stepped down when I was 38, um, and so I, I, I was, when I stepped down, I thought to myself, well, maybe I can just be an evangelist of sort, meaning that I can just go to different churches, kind of what I'm doing this morning, going to different churches and filling in. Um, and just trying to be a blessing uh, in that way it's a lot less pressure and since you know finances wasn't really a concern for our family again God's been good to us in that area um, you could you could do stuff like that you could serve and um, and kind of in my mind what I really wanted to do is just take it easy um, and there are seasons of rest. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with taking a season of rest. The Bible talks about sabbaticals, and the Bible talks about leaving the land live for a while, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I remember uh, my, when I still was in Arizona, uh, sitting in the car with the kid's principal, 
um, and talking to him about my next step in life and what the Lord would have me to do. And he made a statement, and, and we were talking. He's into real estate, too, so we were talking. We actually went and looked at a piece of property together, and, and we got back to the school, and we were talking, and he said, why don't you just continue to invest a little bit and just continue to do what you're doing and just take it easy? And I thought to myself, boy, is it okay just to cruise a little bit? Again, I'm not against taking a sabbatical and a rest. That, that's well needed, and that's a good idea. But I, in my mind, I basically had almost, let's say, used the word given up. Like, I'm just going to take the easy route. And, you know, instead of pastoring again and having the pressures and starting a church again and having the burdens, look, I, I don't need that anymore. I can just come in and smile and just, and just leave. And, and, and I thought, man, I don't know if that... It, it kind of struck my heart. You know what I'm saying? It's just something hit my heart about that. Like there's something wrong in my heart about the ideology or the thought process of just taking it easy, um, just cruising through life. And so the next morning I was in my devotions, and God has a way of speaking to us. And Psalm 71, I came across this verse. David is speaking. I believe David is speaking, and he says this, O oh God, thou hast taught me from my youth. And hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. And I paused on that verse and I thought, okay, I can associate with David at the age of seven years old. I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Um, we lived about three quarters of a mile from a Baptist church. We'd walk to church every Sunday morning. And God's been good. I don't have a testimony where I was into drugs and then into this. Basically, God saved me at an early age and I kind of just stayed on the path and thank the Lord for that. And so I can relate with David, kind of. From my youth, the Lord's taught me. And then, then verse 18, I read verse 18 and it said this. Now also when I'm old and gray-headed. So, well, I'm not really old. I do have a few gray hairs in my beard when I let it grow. Um, this is, oh God, forsake me not. So David is making a prayer here. He's, he's basically, okay, I'm an old man now. Um, don't forsake me, Lord. And I, I, I thought, okay. You know, the older you get, you realize. And I, I went back to verse 9. You flip back to verse 9 with me and it says, Cast me not off in the time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. So David is at a place in his life where he's kind of realizing his physical strength is not what it used to be. You know, he wasn't as strong as he used to be. He, he wasn't as energetic as he used to be. And he had this burden like, man... The pain of the old body. That's what verse 9 talks about. The verse 11, the pain of critics. Look at, it says, saying, God hath forsaken him, persecuted and take him, for there is none to deliver him. So David had his critics, right? Um, and if you're involved in any public platform of any sort, you're going to have your critics. I mean, if you've got a Facebook page, you're going to have your critics. But imagine being the ruler of a nation where... You know, David certainly had his flaws, but then there's all those critics and the criticism came upon him. That wears on you after a while, right? I mean, our, our, today we have presidents that last four to maybe max of eight years, but then, then they're gone and the criticism usually tapers off after a, a while. And, but David was the king for 30 plus years and the, the criticism, the, his son raising up against him and, and having all these pressures in his life. But then, so he has, he's feeling the pressure. He's old and gray-headed. He's at the end of his life. But then he makes this declaration. This is where, it really, the Lord spoke to me. It says, forsake me not. He's like, God, don't leave me in your presence. 
until I have showed thy strength unto this generation. So David was saying, okay, Lord, don't forsake me until I've shown my peers what you can do in their life. But then also he says, and thy power to everyone that is to come. So David is basically saying, Lord, do not give up on me until I'm able to make a difference in the generation that's behind me. Now, as, as, as we get older and we realize that the truth is that we only have so much ability, and if we're going to have the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ perpetuate itself, there comes a time when we have to influence the next generation. So the question is, how, and so the question in my mind popped up, how could I be a biblical influencer, influencer, in our site, now isn't that a buzzword? Are there inf uh, Instagram influencer, or blah, 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 influence. I mean, I wonder if they really influence or they just get followers. There's a difference of real influence and just artificial influence. But I, I thought to myself, how can I be a person that influence the generation behind me? How can I be a person that influences my kids? How can I be a, a person that influences my grandchildren? And I thought, well, how did David do this? Because the truth is, though David had his flaws... You'll never find a man in the Bible that inspired people and still his testimony in his life still inspires people more than King David outside of the Lord Jesus Christ and maybe the Apostle Paul. I mean, his life oozed of inspiration. His life, today, movies are still made about him. Books are still wrote about I mean, the secular world piggybacks on his inspiration. So how can you become a person of Inspiration. How can you be a person of influence? What characteristics can you develop in your life to be people, a person of influence? Again, it doesn't matter if you're 80 this morning or if you're 30 in here or 20 in here or as my kids tend, we're, we're all going to influence somebody. So, how, so I started thinking to myself, okay, Lord, am I okay with just being passive? Am I okay with just cruising along? And I had to answer myself, no, I'm not. So I started investigating David's life. How, how can you influence the next generation? Let me just say this. The right passions allow you to influence the next generation. Now, I want to be a person of influence. Not for my sake. Oh, I don't really have anything to gain. I mean, I really have everything I already want. But the one thing I do want is my children to love Jesus. I want people that come around me to love Jesus. How can I be a person of influence? So I started investigating David's life. Because David was a, a, an influencer. You think about this. I mean, when he was 20 years old, or maybe or even younger than that, he killed Goliath. I remember right after that, he became the general of Saul's army, and they sung songs about him. Saul has called his ten, killed his ten thousands or thousands, and David has killed his tens of thousands of people. I mean, from the bat... The reason Saul put him in charge of his army, not because he was a superior warrior, but somehow there was something in the heart of David that inspired people to love Jehovah and love God, the God of Israel. And David had that passion inside of him that inspired other people. So how can we develop that? How can a church develop the right set of passions to inspire the next generation? Because Really, once you get to a certain age, what else do you need other than to influence the people behind you? Because isn't that what it's all about? 
I've been at the, I, I pastor in a retirement community. I've been at the deathbeds of many, 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 many people. Nobody ever talks about their 401k on the deathbed. I'm not against 401ks, oh my goodness. I'm not against business. I'm not against investing. I always tell people, make all the money you can, save all the money you can, and then give all the money you can. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that at all. But when it's all over, it's the family, the people that you influence, the people that come to your funeral, the people that you've touched with the gospel, the people that you touched with your life. I want to have the right passions. I really do. I want to have the right passions. So what are those passions from the life of David? Number one is this. I believe David chose passion over being polished. Now, there's nothing wrong with looking good, all right? <laughs> there's nothing wrong with having all your, you know, if you're a person that likes proofreading, you know, you have to have every comma in place. And my wife knows all the rules, and she's spotting out the rules. I was like, look, I get what the person's saying. Who cares if they forgot a comma? But the, the truth is in David's life, in David's life, he was a passionate person over being polished. And now, why does that affect church life? Because in church sometimes, we can think to ourselves, well, we're using the right Bible. We have the right tie on. We have the right perspective. We have the right image. And if our image is good, then everything else is going to fall in place. The answer to that is you're wrong. An image is just that, an image. I believe that the reason the generation behind us wears holy jeans, and I'm talking about the 20, 30-year-olds or 20-year-olds, that the reason they're wearing the, the holy jeans and, and they buy them like that is because they want authenticity. They want to feel that they're real, that they're not faking, they're not hiding anything. Everybody hides behind some sort of mask. But David was a passionate person. <laughs> now, I know this is a Baptist church, and it's hard to read this verse in a Baptist church, but just let me read it. It is in the scriptures about David doing a little jig before the Lord. <laughs> 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, it says this, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. <laughs> I mean, do you want me to demonstrate it? Nah, I won't do that today. David danced before the, with all, uh, before the Lord with all his might. I know that may, I mean, if I busted out a dance, it may make some of you feel uncomfortable. Hey, if you put on YouTube, it may go viral. And so the, the fact is, David danced before the Lord. He had a passion about him. And not everybody appreciated David's enthusiasm. Oh, my goodness. I'd much rather be around people that have a little passion than people that are perfect. Because even in the secular world, they say that you better be passionate about what you do. I remember being in an airport, uh, I flew to speak somewhere, I was in the Denver airport, and they have these trains that you ride to the rental car places, I was riding this train, and they had some sort of hockey team there, and a, a person came on and said, welcome to Denver, we are glad that you are here, just like that, we are glad that you are here, please take advantage of what the city can do for you, <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, that was passionate, and then as I was thinking that this man, I don't think he was a Christian, I mean, very vocally said, well, that was passionate, wasn't it? Because even the secular world believes that if you're going to tackle something, accomplish something, you've got to have passion. David was a passionate person. In God's house, there ought to be a little passion. When you come to church, you ought to be fired up about it. I'm, I'm not talking about personality. Personality is different. Some smile, some don't. I'm talking about there's got to be an inward desire to say, I want God to do something this morning in my church. 
I want, I want God to come. I, I'm going to pray that God will fire up pastor and, and he'll say something that will challenge my heart and have some passion about yourselves and be fired up about the things of God. I mean, if you got to do a little jig, it's all right. That's going to fire you up. I, I, mean, I know that we're not. <laughs> no, I ministered one time in a, in a, several times in, in Arizona in Native American churches. And they're different. I mean, I can't preach like this in Native American churches. Um, and one time, this Native American church, and you know what church I'm talking about, the Messick's church, and, and they just got their own building. The Native Americans, um, their culture's a little different, and the pastor's really excited about the new building. He's like, are you guys, aren't you guys remotely excited about the building? And the one old the Native American lady, Yavapai, uh, from the Yavapai Apache tribe said, Pastor, if we were African Americans, we'd be jumping up and down and saying hallelujah. But since we're Native Americans, we think it's nice. <laughs> and so it was just, it's, I'm not talking about personality. There's, there's got to be something in you that says, this is good. This is God's work. This is God's house. And, and I'm going to be passionate about it because people that are behind us in age are looking for people that are passionate about something. I mean, I, one thing that my wife and I always allow our kids to do, we're okay with them making mistakes. We're not okay with them having bad attitudes. We're okay with them trying something and goofing up. They don't have to be perfect, but they better do it with all their heart. I mean, we don't like the rolling of the eyes. We don't like any of that stuff. You clean your room. You don't have to like it, but you're going to like it in front of me at least. <laughs> we want them to be passionate about whatever they do. Because passionate people influence people. And I want to be a person that influences people, and David did this. But listen to this. So 2 Samuel, David was girded with a linen ephod. That's kind of like an underwear, uh, like long johns per se. And David and his house of Israel brought the ark of the Lord, was shouting the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. Let me just say, when you serve the Lord with passion, you live a life because, by the way, we ought to be passionate people. We're going to go to heaven when we die. We have a holy mission on earth to accomplish for God. We have something to get done. There's got to be something in our heart that just oozes out of us. And those type of people are the people that influence other people. It's not a title. It's not a position. But it's a passion for Jesus. Those people influence. So Michael, uh, uh, Michael Saul's, uh, David's wife, has a little discussion with David. Did David return to bless his house? So David wanted to bless his house because he's all excited about serving Jesus. He comes home. He expects to see a loving wife. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today? <laughs> I know I use a little emotion there. But I can just see her roll. How glorious were you today? You know, how, how you look like today? You made yourself look a little dumb. Don't you know you're my husband and you're not looking like that? No. <laughs> no. I'm reading a little into that, but there certainly was a sarcasm there with her voice, wasn't there? There's a sarcasm. David, what'd you do that for? You're the king. You gotta behave a little better. <laughs> and, and it says, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself in the day in the eyes of the handmaid and his servants as one of the vain fellows. It's like, you're just one of the little guys. You're just serving Jesus like one of the little guys. I'm glad I'm one of the little guys. I'm glad that I, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord 
who chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel. Therefore, I will play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than this. It's like, you think you've seen passion? Hold on, you ain't seen nothing yet. I, you got a little offended because I was fired up? You just wait, honey, because I'm going to show you a little more. That's what David was saying here. <laughs> Uh, and then he goes on, it says, Therefore I will play before the Lord, and I will yet be more vile than this, and I will be, listen to this, I will be base in my own sight. Look, we, we ought to be passionate about serving Jesus Christ. Look, I'm worried about what people will think of me. If I become one of these church people, if I, I become one of the people that like love Jesus, and I talk about Jesus, and I try to live the Bible, people are going to think weird about me. Well, so? Are you more worried about influencing your children and the people behind you or just staying safe? Staying safe. I don't want to stay safe. I want to be passionate about doing the things of God. Look, people may not always agree with my preaching, but people always understand what I'm saying. Because <laughs> I'm passionate about it. I'm not asking people to agree with me. I'm asking people to agree with the scriptures and just like any human, you know, I can say things, but the fact is, I want people to know when I open up the Word of God and I explain the stories of the Bible, I want people to know that I'm fired up about it. I love the life of David. I love that he was a passionate person. I love that even to this day, you think about David, for instance. I mean, he was running from Saul, the, the king that was, he was supposed to take over after, and he did. And as he was running from him, all these people joined him. Remember in the wilderness, he was running from Saul? About 600 people joined them, and you're like, those 600 people became the mighty warriors of Israel. But, and we often call them David's mighty men. But you know what they came to David as? The Bible says discouraged, indebted, and discontented. The three Ds. <laughs> In debt. That's not well, that's debtedness, I guess, if you want to do the three Ds. They, were, they, they had a bad credit score. Nobody liked them. <laughs> and they had a bad attitude. But when they started getting around David, they took that bad attitude and they changed him. And they literally changed the course of Israel because of David's passion. David's passion. They weren't great people. But they followed a great leader. And they caught some of that passion. So number one, if we're going to influence the generation behind us, we have to be passionate over being perfect or polished. Whatever word you want to use for it. It's okay to be fired up. It's okay to make mistakes. But serve the Lord with all your heart. And the second thing I think David did is that he preached his Lord. Um, remember the story of David and Goliath? Of course you do. Second, 1 Samuel 17, 26. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth the Philistines? Philistines referring to Goliath. Um, and taketh away the reproach from Israel. Who is this uncircumcised Philistines that he should defile the armies of the living God? So David goes up against Goliath. He says, why are you guys letting him talk smack? Someone got to go get that boy. <laughs> I mean, he's talking smack against our God. And so David's like, this is what David says in, in 1 Samuel 17, 45, some verses later. Then David said to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. David was worried about God's name. As believers in Jesus Christ, if we're going to influence people, we got to preach Jesus to people. Look, I know we all have different personalities. I get that. But all of us can take an invitation to church and hand it to a friend. All of us can do that. 
All of us can take an invitation and leave it at a table. All of us can express desire to our friends, our family, to come to the house of God. All of us can preach Jesus. Look, you know, one thing you could say about Trump, now I don't know where you stand politically, is that he speaks his mind. Wrong or right, this is not a political session this morning, wrong or right, you can see he speaks his mind. One of the reasons he was elected, I believe, because he was passionate and people knew where, knew where he stood. Like it or not, I'm not saying this is not about politics this morning, but leaders that speak their mind and leaders will influence people. Wrong or right. Who influences people on the internet? Wackos, usually. Yeah. <laughs> Weirdos. But see, as Christians, we're afraid to speak about Jesus because we're afraid about offending people. If you're going to influence the next generation, I believe people are looking for people to follow. And, and you say, well, I'm just not a leader. Hogwash. We all influence people. You may not be a political leader, a spiritual leader, or even a leader in your home, but the fact is we all can influence the next generation. There's kids watching you. I remember as a, as a, as a boy about my son's age um, going to church, and there was this old mechanic. His name was JT. And I watched him. He owned an a auto shop. Every time he would come up to me, he'd look me in the eye, he'd grab me by the hand, and he says, Tim. He always get me in a corner so I couldn't escape. Tim, what? God's going to make you a preacher. I thought, no. <laughs> no, he's all, yeah, 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 God, God loves you, and I think there's something in you. God's going to make you a preacher. And I'm telling you, he, he put those words into me. And, and he was an 80-year-old man that just kind of grabbed a little 10-year-old boy and cornered him. I mean, no 10-year-old boy likes to be cornered, Right? <laughs> But he spoke Jesus. He spoke Jesus into my life and it influenced me. Now, I don't know if he ever knew. He died, I think, when I was like 16, 17 years old. But I can still remember. I can see his face. I can see his shaky hand, his glasses. And I even knew where he lived because he lived just a couple blocks down from where I lived. But he spoke Jesus into my life. And we ought to be people that are passionate, people that speak Jesus. And then next, let me just say, if we're going to be passionate people, we have to put progress over material stuff. I don't mind having material stuff. There's nothing wrong with owning a nice house. There's nothing wrong, wrong, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with having a nice car, having a nice boat. I'm not against any of that stuff, but it ought not to be the priority of your life. When David influenced people the most, what did he own? He was on the run. I mean, he was living in caves, living on the side of a sheep pasture. But he had, where Jesus even says, I have no place to put my head, but Jesus Christ influenced more people than he, anybody in eternity will ever influence. And just his earthly ministry. We know he's God in the flesh. But you have to have progress over stuff. Let me give you an example from David's life. Do you remember David, at the end of, close to the end of his life, he wanted to build a temple? He wanted to build this magnificent church building for God. And God told him, No. But your son's going to do that. Did that stop David from doing his mission? Sometimes we think of David's worship, but you know, there was a temporary tabernacle, a temporary building David worshiped in. And in our personal life, if we put stuff over progress, we'll never make a difference. Look, let me put this practically. 
Dads, if you put in work over your family, you'll never influence them. There's nothing, I, I'm not saying you've you got to make a living, all right? The Bible says take care of your family. But if you're putting a bigger house over serving Jesus, you're in the wrong boat. There's nothing wrong with owning a nice house. Look, we own our house debt-free. It's a small house at this time. We knew we were in a transition. We bought a house. And we just bought something small. You know why we bought something small? It's so I can do what I'm doing now. So I can just serve Jesus. Look, it's tight. We made a shed into our TV room. <laughs> we just like it out of this old shed, threw some old couches, and it's freezing in there when we were watching a movie last night. But the fact was, it didn't matter. So I'm putting progress. I'm putting God's work. I'm putting my family before my stuff. Because when you pass away, the hearse is not going to be followed by your U-Haul truck. It's just not. Look, so many people hold on so tightly to their earthly possessions that they never influence people. The people that influence people are generous people. They put the priorities in place. David knew that the temple was beautiful, but he, he, he couldn't build it. And I, I mean, it's, just, like, it's not about a building, though we, I think we ought to make the building as best as we possibly can. When, we, when I passed, so we did everything we can to make our building nice. But bottom line... If you're fired up about Jesus, people, I remember when I first started pastoring, literally, we met in an old 1972 single wide trailer. The sanctuary was this big. I'm not kidding. It was like the pulpit was here, walls here. You thought I couldn't really move around there. <laughs> the wall, I hit my head on the wall. The piano was right there, and all the chairs was right there, and the door was right there. And, you know, sometimes we packed that thing to 30 to 40 people. People still came. Now, some people, went, they, we had, it was really disheartening. People would drive up. They saw where, and they'd turn around and leave. And you're out there sitting on the front porch like, I saw you out door knocking. You told me you'd be here this morning. They're looking the other way, you know, like a little rug. Like, oh. And that's when we moved into a school, and God blessed us, and finally moved into our own building. But you know what? In those early days, it was about winning people to Christ, not about the building. In a church setting and also in a family setting. Look, you know, I, there's one lady in our church, and I won't say the names because I don't want my kids to know. Um, I was preaching out of Ecclesiastes, and basically Solomon was saying, I don't know what's going to happen to my stuff when I die. And so this lady felt convicted about giving to the church. So she called me up the next day, and she said, Pastor, when I die, I know my kids won't tithe on their inheritance, so I'm going to tithe for them. And she wrote a check. Or a couple weeks later, she wrote a check to pay off her church building. And she, because she knew that her kids, she would influence her kids more about, by her generosity than with their money. They weren't, again, there's nothing wrong with leaving your kids an inheritance. I'm, my kids know if they don't behave, they get no money. <laughs> I'm not giving ungodly people money, all right? I'm just not. I mean, if they want to live for themselves, that's fine. It's my money, and I'm going to give it to some missionaries instead of them. Now, if they behave and they do right, I'll, I'll, we'll leave them something. But <laughs> it's about progress over stuff. Influencers always put the mission over the material things in life. David did that. And then also, influencer, those that influence the next generation, they always put risk over certainty. Now, I understand there's different people with different risk levels in life, but in your spiritual life, you ought to be a risk taker. 
Like, man, the offering plate's coming by. Should I be generous or should I not be? Well, the Lord says, give and it shall be given unto you. The Lord says he'll meet all your needs. Are you going to take a risk or not take a risk? It's a risk to get up every Sunday morning to come to church. And it, it, I, I believe people that influence are people that are risk takers. Let me give you an example from David's life. David killed the lion and bear way before he ever killed Goliath. The last time I checked, if I was a shepherd and a big lion came and got one of my little sheep, I was like, I'll just count down the losses. Let him go. <laughs> I mean, the lion's got to eat too. There's no need for this old boy to get in his, his way. I mean, come on. That's how many of us think. But David knew that he was responsible for the sheep. So he took his slingshot out and, and, and took care of business. And I love it. Took him by the beard, jammed him up, and he killed him because he was responsible. It was a risk. Last time I checked, I, I've never wrestled a bear, but I've heard people die from wrestling bears. <laughs> There's people that die every year from bear attacks. There's people that die every year from lion attacks, especially the, you, know, you see on YouTube the zookeepers, and all of a sudden their heads off and like, wow. Ah. And you wonder, they're lions. I mean, come on. You are taking a risk. So David killed the lion in bed. It was risk over certainty. What about friendships? You know, if you're going to be a friend, you're going to risk a little part of you. You know why so many people become inward? Because they've been hurt. And they say, I'm never going to be friendly with anybody because I've been hurt. Look, if you're going to be influenced, you've got to take risk. The people that let you down. But David's life with Jonathan. Jonathan was Saul's son. You know the story. Hopefully some, most of you know the story. Saul was king. Jonathan was his son. Eventually Saul gets killed in battle. But Jonathan, when, when Saul was mad at David, David was in the wilderness hiding from Saul. Jonathan, David's friend, came out to the wilderness and encouraged his friend. That was a risk. You know, friendships are risky. Sharing the gospel with one of your friends, you're like, well, they may not like me anymore. Yeah, it's risky. Influencers, those that make a difference in the generation behind them, are risk takers. Risk takers. I mean, you, I mean, in America, don't we praise the idea of entrepreneurship, risk takers? And there's whole shows made about it. Shark Tank, like one of my favorites. There's whole shows made about it. But all of a sudden, in the Christian world, oh, no, no, we got to play it safe. Let's never go out and share Jesus. Let's never hand out a track. Let's never pray for something beyond ourselves. No, church has got to be risk takers. I remember a point in our church, one of the lowest points in our church. The economy had turned. We lived in a town. Everybody had moved out of the town. And we were down to like six people on a Sunday night. It was six, six of us just... And that included three of us from our family. And I, it was just, I can see it right now. There's just a few. And I preached from the passage from the, the people that had leprosy that they were, in the Old Testament, there was two lepers and there was an army surrounding this other nation of Israel. And these two lepers said, they made a statement, why sit here until we die? They said, let's just go into the camp. If they kill us, well, we're going to die anyways. I believe followers of Jesus Christ, there comes a time in our life we have to ask ourselves, why sit here until we die? Let's get fired up about serving Jesus. Let's take a risk. Let's try something new. Let's be risk takers over certainty because you can only sit in the pew for so long before you get to get frustrated. Take a risk. He said, well, you know, I don't know if I can ever do the nursery. Well, take a risk. The worst can happen is you die. I mean, the kids can't kill you. <laughs> I mean, take some Advil beforehand. You'll be all right. I mean, come on. Put a little Bengay on the back. You'll be okay. Just go do the nursery. It won't hurt anybody. 
I mean, volunteer for something. Take a risk. Get out of your comfort zone. Christianity has been propelled by risk takers. When Paul went on his mission journeys, they were risks. When pastor came here, it was a risk. When I started my church as a young 23-year-old, I, didn't, I wasn't even having a wife. You know how I met my wife? I was out door knocking, knocking on doors, inviting people to church, uh, risking the opportunity of being rejected, and this old man answered the door, and I started witnessing to him, and he says, thank you, I'm already saved. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. And the next Sunday, he shows up, and lo and behold, that's my wife's grandpa. <laughs> grandma comes, grandpa comes, she gets on the phone and calls my wife and says, honey, we met the man you're going to marry. And my wife's like, oh, you know how grandma's always trying to set you up. Well, I was like, uh-uh. But they took a risk, I took a risk, my wife took a risk on me, but things worked out. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to be influenced, we've got to take a risk. We've got to get out of our comfort zone. I mean, we just, we just got to... David was a risk taker. And I'm not talking about an ignorant, uneducated risk. I'm talking about calculated risk of faith. Those are the people that influence the next generation. Those are the people that make a difference. I mean, I want to be... I don't want, I don't want to be sitting in my car... Ever again, and somebody asks me the question, why don't you just take it easy? I never want that to be the story of my life, that Tim took it easy. That Tim didn't take any risk. Have I failed? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I failed lots of times. But you know what? I've, I've realized something about falling. The more you do it, the easier it is to get back up. Because <laughs> your pride level just gets a little lower each time. You're like, okay, God, I didn't have it all figured out, but I'm going to get back up for you. I'm going to do this again for you. Risk over certainty. And then lastly, let me just say this, and this kind of ties into another point, but you have to put the mission over your money. You have to put mission over your money. Let me give you an example of this. You know, we have four kids. Um, we thank the Lord for our four kids. But nobody gave me this fact beforehand. But I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> Imagine... You know, my wife and I thinking, you know, we want to have kids. But somebody comes up to us and say this. Technically, it takes $233,610 to raise a child, according to the USDA uh, survey. So if a husband and wife team, if we're going to have, it takes half a million dollars to raise two kids. What if every young couple in America looked at that big figure and said to themselves, oh, my goodness, I can barely pay my rent. I'm never going to have kids in my life. Then society would die off, right? Society would die off. But the fact is that people all the time have children and they turn out just fine. Look, I grew up in a poor home and we never went hungry. I mean, my mom didn't have 233000 per kid. There's four of us. That'd be a million bucks. Can you imagine saving a million bucks before you had any kids? Well, so many people want their life in order before they serve Jesus. If I could just get a little extra overtime and get this credit card debt paid off. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with paying off credit card debt. You ought to pay it off. Oh, if I could just pay off my house, then I would serve Jesus. No, 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 you won't. <laughs> you got to put the mission over the money in your life. You got to be someone that said, look, no matter what, 
It doesn't matter how poor we are. And what I'm going to do is serve Jesus first and foremost. David did that in his life. Let me give you an example of this. You know, often we think of David and Goliath. David killed Goliath with a slingshot. But you know, in the nation of Israel at that time, swords were at a, they were a, they were a precious commodity. Sometimes we think of the nation of Israel when they first started off, they had all these swords, all this military equipment. But listen to this. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear in, in the hand of any of the people that were with Saul and Jonathan, but with Saul and with Jonathan his son was there found. Now this was slightly before David and Goliath battle. But there was no swords in Israel. So did Israel just sit around? Well, I guess we can't fight. No, they grabbed pitchforks. They grabbed whatever they could to fight. And that's probably why David got pretty good at sling. You know, sometimes we think of the sling like David's sling, like a little kid's sling. That was a powerful sling. Now listen to this. When David killed Goliath with a slingshot and a stone, do you know, let me just read the verse. 1 Samuel 13, 22. So it came to pass in the day of battle that there was neither sword. Oh, I read that verse. Oh, well, sorry. Let me just make reference to David and Goliath. You know, when David went to Goliath, the fact was that he killed him with a slingshot. Now, we read that story, right? You remember coloring the pictures when you were a kid in the... But, you know, sometimes we forget that he also had a staff in his hand. So he had a slingshot and a staff. Staff is probably a, a, I mean, there's a shepherd's staff and there's a rod. And so he had the staff in his hand. He was a shepherd. Here's what I believe David did. He was good with a slingshot. I believe he knew he was going to kill Goliath with a slingshot because he had practiced with the slingshot. And he was good with the slingshot. And that slingshot, some experts said it was equivalent when done right to a 22 or 45 uh, bullet coming out of a gun. It was very fast. Many people believe that it wasn't just some kid playing with a slingshot. The, remember in the Bible they had slingers. Those were slingshots people. They could sling stones with right and left hand. So these were deadly weapons that David used. But just in case that weapon didn't work out, I believe David was going to take his rod, his staff, and he was going to do his ninja moves. <laughs> I missed the slingshot. Bam, I might get killed, but I'm using what I got. When you're passionate about serving Jesus and you're passionate about making a difference, you're just going to have the mission in mind. You're going to get it done. You're just going to get it done. You're not going to worry about what's not there. You're just going to get it done. David says in Psalms 37, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed baking bread. David got it done. So... I want to be a person of influence, but you have to have the right passions. I'm done with this, story, with this story. If you know the story of David and his life, you realize at the end of, near the end of his life, his son Absalom tried to take the kingdom away from him. His son had a coup, basically raised up against David, and he tried to take the throne away from his father. And he got thousands of men behind him, got David's counselor behind him, David basically fled the city into the wilderness. And as he fled the city, remember they threw stones at him, they cursed him. And then later on, when Absalom was killed by Joab, David received the news. And this verse has always been a puzzle to me. And he said this in 2 Samuel. This is the news that David received from his, his uh, a general. And the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, Oh, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 
David's heart was broken for his son. Now, you think about this for a second. Here's David. His son that just tried to kill him is now found dead. He gets the news and he says, my son, my son. His heart is broken for his son. And later his general says, David, you better cheer up. Because these people just gave their life for you. And he did, he cheered up. But I, I often thought about that. How can a dad have that much passion? And maybe David thought this to himself. Oh Lord, forsake me not until I have showed your strength to this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. Maybe David was praying in his heart, Lord, if I just had a little more time with Absalom, if I just had a little more time to influence his heart and to show him your power and to show him your grace, if I could just have a little more time with him and show him how good and how great you are, maybe he could have changed. And I know that Absalom was a result of David's sin. I understand all that, but which of you don't have sin? Which of you don't have a heartache because of bad decisions you made? And so you see David's heart here that he wanted to influence his son Absalom, but it didn't come to that point. But I, I'm just telling you that we ought to be like David. Oh, God. Oh, God. Don't let me take it easy. Don't forsake me. Let me live a life of passion. Let me, let me live a life that I preach you and I put your mission over my money and I, I, I put risk over... I, I do risk or certainty. I serve you with all my heart. And, and when it's uncomfortable, I still do what you want me to do because I want to influence my children. I want to influence the people behind me. I want to influence the people I go to church with. I want to influence the people in my community. I want to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe this church can do that. I believe that you can make a difference, but there's got to be a holy passion from the Spirit of God that dwells up in your heart and you try to make a difference. Because when it's all said and done, it doesn't matter how much money you had. There's a lot of rich people that died lonely. It doesn't matter the size of your house. There's a lot of houses that just sit empty for people that had wealth. There's a lot of people that had a lot of temporary influence, but their permanent influence in eternity is nothing. I want to be a person that influences people for, for the Lord. By the way, I can only do that as I serve him passionately with my whole heart. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the few moments we've had today. I pray, Lord, that you will be with this time, uh, that you would help us grasp David's life, and that we would be people of influence. I pray for that, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Piano player, his wife's went in that store, but um, just think about, meditate on those thoughts. Hey, um, you know what? Serving Christ, there's going to take risks. You know, Jesus said, he that, will, he that seeks his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for the gospel's sake shall find it. And um, ministry, ministry takes risks. You know, in pastoring and different events, different things, there's been t times where things seem like it fell. 
And sometimes it didn't. Sometimes we just see, we see the outward. We see, we see what we see, but we don't see God working in people's hearts. And so take risks for Jesus. Don't be afraid of that rejection. You know, be that accountability partner with your spouse if you're married. You know, just the other day, um, my wife and I um, went away just, um, just for an hour or so just to go out to a restaurant together. And um, um, I gave the waiter um, gospel track and everything, but then we went to check out, and I, and I didn't give one to the um, one checking this out. And then my wife just goes, are you going give, to give, give, give them one? And I didn't have any more in my pocket or anything, but she did, so, so she did. But when you remind one another, it helps you to remember, amen? <laughs> And so then I went to the gas station and talked to um, the lady there, the clerk there. And so um, take risks for Jesus. Help, help each other be accountable. Um, just a few announcements I want to give. Next um, Sunday we'll be, um, we'll be observing the Lord's table. And so come with your mindset ready. And be prepared. Um, uh, um, partake of the Lord's table. We'll also be having our once a month children's um, kids Bible adventure um, next week. There was a little bit of miscommunication today. It was just the nursery kids that were going to go over next door. Um, but I didn't articulate that well. And so he told all the kids to go over. So that's why his wife went over to go help out there too and everything. But it's okay. When you're passionate about Jesus, sometimes we're going to make mistakes. And they're probably having a blast over there. Amen. And I'm so thankful for the kids that stayed over here too. Be able to hear the message. And man, I love getting the sermon notes from the kids too. Sometimes they turn them in. And um, they're such a blessing. But um, the scheduled Kids Bible Adventure will be next week. And then also the following Sunday, or not Sunday, but on Friday the 30th, I believe it is, there's going to be the Christmas ship in the Seattle area. And so this is for youth and adults, um, 7th grade and above. And it's $22, and it basically is, um, go, I, I don't remember, it's in the Puget Sound or in one of the lakes, but um, just kind of take a Christmas ship. There's going to be food, um, preaching, and um, so really looking forward. I haven't gone in um, several years. I remember going as a teenager, going to them, but um, we're going to go um, this year, and so if anyone wants to go, let us know. We could even do a van, caravan, if um, we have enough people interested in going. Yes. All right. Wonderful. Praise the Lord. And so you'll be able to see them again, too. And so um, November 30th will be that. And then also, either on the 2nd or the 9th, um, don't know for sure yet, but we're going to be having a short, short meeting following church services and just trying to get a rotation for several things, one for um, nursery. And like my wife's been doing nursery like for the last three months or so, so she hasn't really been able to be in here. That's why we went to the preacher meeting last week, even though we just had one the week before. But I um, just want to try to get a rotation, and some of we've been waiting for people to be here longer. We don't just throw everybody in nursery right away. We do background checks, and, and um, we just want to make sure children are safe. Um, but if you're interested, some of you have been here for a while too, and if you'd like to serve in a nursery or... Maybe you wouldn't like to, but you're willing to take a risk. Amen? <laughs> take a risk for Jesus. And um, that way more people could be in here, um, be in here preaching. The kids, the little ones, it doesn't bother me at all when I'm preaching. The baby could be crying in a corner, and it doesn't bother me at all. 
Um, but I know sometimes you as parents, sometimes it bothers you. You feel like you're being a distraction. You're not. But we want to just try to um, take that, what, that feeling away. You're not being a distraction at all. But sometimes, I know parents, sometimes when, when our kids were younger, when we would be somewhere and they're wiggling more, we would get self-conscious. Well, I would preach to others, oh, don't worry about it. But, um, you know, it's tra training ground. And, but also we'd like to um, make you available. You know, oftentimes, you know, we love having a um, family integrated church, families worshiping together. But we've seen that sometimes it hinders us reaching some of the new, new families that are used to that. And so we would like to um, ramp up our once a month children's ministry to maybe be two times a month. Um, it'll be every other week. And so um, if anyone's interested, maybe being a team partner where, you know, what, once a month you would be working in that ministry. We'll maybe talk about that on the second or the ninth as well. And um, but um, just let us know areas you'd like to serve in. And, you know, there's sometimes so, you know, what, we, we want you want to be all right. People want to be proving themselves, proving them faithful to the Lord and everything. And so, but we want to find a role, a ministry that anybody, everybody could um, be involved in. Um, and that's not always going to be children's ministry. Sometimes there's other ministries. You know, we um, could use help um, cleaning the church, you know, maybe once a month or once every other month. We'll have sign-up lists for that as well. But just many members of the body, all having different roles, we're able to serve in. And so that's what we're going to be working on. We'll also be having um, a... Um, a, um, a holiday or a Christmas tree um, giveaway thing where we're going to be ministering, um, trying to reach out to five, at least five families um, in, in need. And um, so some of its needs and some of it will just be um, kind of presence gifts um, for families that um, really aren't able to do that for their family. Um, Quinn's helping head that up with um, the fire department. Um, basically, there's 10 families um, and then the fire station's going to do five. We're going to do five. And then if there's anybody else you know of that maybe has any needs, let us know, and we'll put that on the tree. We just want to be able to minister um, to people in our community. And um, speaking of uh, being passionate about Jesus, making mistakes here and there, uh, um, a few weeks ago, just before the pastor's fellowship meeting, we were um, get, trying to get a bunch of the remodeling done, and the doors got installed upside down. And now sometimes, you know, people just get frustrated. Not, most of you guys didn't even notice that. Now that I mention it, you guys will. But, um, but you know, when we notice it, it's like, you know what? Oh, wow. You know, we'll just leave them up there. Things don't need to be perfect. And many times God will work through our mistakes. You know, the things that we try to do right and it didn't go right. Sometimes God uses those. And so anyways, at the pastor's fellowship meeting, uh, uh, one of the pastors was looking at the doors very, very critically. He was hmm, kind of smirking. And then my wife saw him and says, you notice the doors, huh? And then his wife goes, oh, you know, you know, yes, you know, the doors are upside down. And she's like, yeah, we do, we do. It was accident, miscommunication, everything. And, um, and she goes, the lady tells my wife, but don't feel bad. My husband works with doors. 
And so he notices everything that's off on the door, any business, anything. He'll notice the swings off or it's going the wrong way. So don't feel bad or anything. But just, you know, my wife goes, oh, no, we know, we noticed. We, we didn't know if anyone else noticed, but we, we did. And um, but he goes, yeah, we got a lot of doors we need to replace as well. We got the um, front doors, their interior doors, and then one of the doors is missing over here. It's all rotten 